Oh, there's some money on the steps. Okay, I'll put it in the... Oh, all right. thought that was a tip. No. So earlier this week, uh, the nursery school brought their four-year-old classes into the sanctuary space for chapel, and I had the chance to meet with them for about 15 minutes and to sit right here on the steps and to talk about what we do in this sanctuary and how we remember how great God is and how great God's love is for us. And I taught them the song, Our God is an Awesome God, with the hand motions. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns in heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. After I taught him the song, I looked at this, this little four-year-old cluster of uh, students and said, what does awesome mean? And this little four-year-old looked at me and said, cool. <laughs> I thought, yeah, okay. So uh, we are in this series on worship, and we are trying to understand what it means to offer the kind of worth worship that is worth-ship, that is helping us know and live out the reality that our God is an awesome God and reigns with wisdom and power and love. And leading us today is this passage that you heard earlier from the book of Malachi, and I want to have you turn, it, turn to it again and even notice where it is in the Bible, that it's right at the end, it's the last prophetic word before we get to the New Testament and the coming of Jesus Christ. And there is uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the word testament really is about covenant. It's about this covenant that God has made with God's people, this covenant of love. And you've got two parties in this covenant. You've got God and you have Israel. And I want to talk about their two parts. God's part in this covenant is what? God is the creator. God is the savior. God is the provider like a father. God is the one who reigns over all things with love, wisdom, power, and like a, like a master, like a king, really, the king of all things. So that's God's part in the covenant. What about the people? What's their part? It is to honor God like a, father, like a son would honor a father in the ancient Near East. It is to obey God like a servant would obey a master. And the people's part is to pray for that day when all creation will recognize and honor God as the one true king over all creation. So that's God's part. That's Israel's part. And then the priests. What do the priests do? Well, the priests are the mediator of this covenant, helping the people to understand that our God is an awesome God. And also helping the people offer the right kind of respect and reverence, trust, faith, obedience to God. So who are the priests today? We are the priests. The priesthood of all believers. You probably wanted to point to me. No. We are the priests. So in this book, it's almost like we're in a lover's quarrel. And it's almost like this lover's quarrel between God and God's people has been taken into the courtroom. And it's almost like you hear an aggressive kind of legal approach, this questioning, this questioning, and these answers that are given. And so the quarrel is that both parties in this covenant love relationship between God and Israel are saying that the other is not doing their part. Israel is saying to God, you don't really love us. 
and you don't really honor your promises and you aren't really a God of justice because even though they came back from being in exile in Babylon and rebuilt the temple, they are still just this struggling province under a Persian governor. Where's the Messiah you promised? Where's the kingdom, the restored kingdom that you promised? You do not love us. You are not a God of justice. God's accusation against Israel is in Malachi. So once again, let's listen to the word of God as it comes to us in Malachi 1, verses 6 through 14. A son honors his father and servants their master. If then I am a father, where is the honor due me? And if I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name? You say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. And you say, how have we polluted it? By thinking that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not wrong? Try presenting that to your governor. Will he be pleased with you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now implore the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. The fault is yours. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that someone among you would shut the temple doors, so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name is great among the nations, And in every place, incense is offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and the food for it may be despised. What a weariness this is, you say, and you sniff at me, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in the flock and vows to give it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is reverenced among the nations. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. I am a great king says the Lord of hosts, I am an awesome God. And my name is reverenced among the nations. I reign with wisdom and goodness and power and love. But instead of reverence and honor and respect and awe, you despise my name, says the Lord of hosts, You profane it. You pollute it. And how were they polluting and profaning and despising the Lord of hosts? With their offerings. Their offerings showed disrespect. Disrespect because they would go out into their flocks and they would look over the flock and decide which animal they were going to bring into the temple 
for their sacrifice, their sacrifice of thanksgiving, their sacrifice of repentance. And instead of bringing the best out of their herd, they picked the one that was on its last legs. They picked the one that was already sick, that had already been attacked by a wild animal and wasn't going to make it. They picked the one that they knew they were going to lose anyway. And they brought that to God. And God's accusation and question is this. Try taking that animal to the governor of Persia and see what kind of response you would get. And by the way, if you're more concerned about bringing your best to the governor of Persia, what is that saying about how you esteem me and whether I am your king? So they're showing disrespect with their offerings. They're also showing indifference with their offerings. You say, what a weariness this is when they come to worship. You sniff at me. Isn't that an amazing phrase? That's an interesting image. Kind of like, do I really care? There's a boredom there. There's an apathy. God is saying, shut the doors. You should just shut the doors to the temple. Just shut it down. Shut down this charade. It is a charade. And priests, what are you doing? You are to be mediating God's greatness to the people and the people's honor and respect and obedience to God. Shut the doors. You might as well shut the doors. So their offerings are showing disrespect, indifference, and thirdly, an empty Ritual. It is empty. They would pray to God and say, Oh God, please be our help. Save my business. Save my mother who's dying. Bring us a child, we are barren. If you do that, if you will bring us a child, I will come into your temple every day and offer the best that I have. And so the prayer was answered, and God does bring a child, or God does save their business, God does heal their mother, and what do they bring to worship? Not that best male in their flock, but the worst. God calls them a cheat. God calls them a cheat, and later in Malachi calls them robbers. You are robbing God. So what would God call us? I love the verse in Psalms, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Offer right sacrifices Put your trust in the Lord. Bring that honor, that respect, that worthship by bringing right sacrifices. So what are right sacrifices? How are we to bring our time and our talent and our treasures to God? Well, I want to talk about illustrations of what I see as being right sacrifices and maybe even some that aren't right sacrifices. So if you imagine a scale, and on this end of the scale over here by the pulpit, this would be our best. This would be a right sacrifice. It actually 
is a sacrifice that costs us something, and we want to give it. And all the way over here would be, on this end of the scale, leftovers. I wouldn't really miss it anyway. It really doesn't matter that much to me in terms of what I bring. So when I think of time, talent, and treasure over here on this end, I think of a couple in our church, Cliff and Deborah, who have no extra time. He works long hours. She works long hours. They both have demanding jobs. And yet both of them excitedly give their time and their talent to ministry. They're not even here right now. You know why? They're downstairs teaching fish food, our middle schoolers. And why are they teaching fish food? Because they have three children out of the foster care system that they are bringing into this community to raise up in Christ. Deborah is helping to organize our great getaway weekend. Cliff is a deacon and also on children's ministry team. They give the best of what they have, their time and their talent. On this end of the spectrum, I think of a conversation I had with a couple that hasn't been around for about five years now. Both of them individually, after I saw them, said to me, when things settle down, we'll come back to worship. When it fits into my schedule. That's called leftovers, folks. What's left over of my time, I will give to God. Time, talent, and treasure. Over on this side, Nora, I think of you, actually. Nora Patrick, who is a single mom. She works long hours in management at Mervyn's. Um, Comes home and has a house to take care of and a family to take care of, and yet she brings Casey regularly, and they make sandwiches for sandwiches on Sunday, and because of her own enthusiasm for the ministry of loving that's going on in this church, said yes to being a deacon, is an enthusiastic deacon, and now is bringing her talents to organize our SOS Sandwiches on Sunday Ministries. That's this end. Giving the best of our energy. And over on this end, there's so many things that demand our energy, but how often it's the leftover energy we see if we have it for anything that the community of Christ or the ministry of Christ in service might ask of us. That's leftover. When I think of treasure, you know, what we treasure, how we give even financially, people that practice tithing and even beyond tithing as the Old Testament set up a guide because we forget so easily that everything comes from God. So a practice that was built in was to tithe so that you're giving your first fruits. At the beginning of the year, you're setting up, this is how much God has blessed me, and so I'm giving a portion, the top portion, the first portion to God and the work of ministry and to serving the work of God's love in this world. People that do that and when they get more than what they need, they live with such abundance, far more than they can use, they give that extra away. They give it away to Village Enterprise. They give it away to Street Church. They give it away to people in need anonymously. I see that happen. That's over here where they're giving the first fruits and saying, I will live on the rest and trust that God will provide for me. 
Over on this end, when we give what's left over in our wallet at the end of the day, or the end of the week, or the end of the year, that's not giving God our best. It's what we won't miss. And you've seen the graph of our giving in this church, how it spikes up at the end, and a biggest percentage of our giving is the last two weeks of the year. And we rejoice, praise God, we exceeded our expenses. But there's also a danger in that giving, isn't it? Isn't there? Because it's an end of the year, I won't miss it anyway, and in fact, it will help me in my tax write-off. Which is nice that you're giving it to the church. But what is that saying about my best and what I won't miss and what's left over? And even what we bring to worship, it's interesting because how often do we think of this hour as an hour and this time, a time for which we prepare so that what you do on Saturday night actually impacts what you bring on Sunday morning, and you think about that. I want to come to worship awake and ready to give God my best attention and praise. Think about what you bring when you have a project to do at work or school. You want to be ready to bring that kind of preparation into worship instead of what a weariness this is. If only I could go home and take a nap. If only I could go to brunch right now. I want to share with you a gift that is an illustration of giving the best went to a baby shower for Robin. Uh, this is uh, Mike and Sherry's daughter, and she's having a baby. And this right here, Sherry, eight days before the shower, went to a three-hour training on how to make a quilt. She'd never made one before. So this was eight days, ten days before the shower. So she starts this quilt, and for the next ten days, spends 20 hours. She works full-time and has a lot of stuff that she's doing. Getting up at 5 in the morning and working for a few hours before she goes to work. Staying up late at night, barely gets any sleep. Interrupted, but working, 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 working 20 plus hours to make this gift of love that was taken to the shower and opened. And what do you think? What kind of worth did this communicate to Robin? What kind of worth does this communicate to this baby that is coming? Gifts have power. Giving the best of what we have, it has power to communicate worth and esteem and also the opposite. We are here as God's people to pray for that day when all creation will look to God as our one true king. Do our gifts and our offerings communicate that? Do we bring God the best of our time and our talent and our treasure? I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. I am an awesome God. I am reverenced among the nations. I reign with wisdom and power and love. And if that's not enough to call forth our best... Just look at how God gives. God gives God's best in Jesus Christ. Holds back 
nothing gives all in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to set us free, to be people who love like this and give like this and worship God like this. Since we are priests to one another, I want you to take a moment and to be a priest to the person that you're sitting next to or someone in front of you or behind you that's courageous and bold and just share what this word from Malachi is saying to you this morning. Okay? What is God saying to you through the prophet Malachi and this message? You up for doing that? Just turn to the person next to you. What are you hearing God say to you?